Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness podcast hosted by Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Fractor. We are two millennial therapists who enjoy having authentic conversations with real people who share their experiences and passions with a mental health twist. Conversations that inspire discovery of self, insight into deeper spirituality, and alternative ways to support mental health and wellness. As a reminder, this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. All topics discussed on the podcast are from the viewpoint of our guests and their personal experiences. Information shared on the podcast is not a replacement for therapy, therapeutic advice, or medical treatment. Today on the podcast, we have Katie O'Leary, disability advocate and former columnist for the National Pain Report. Katie O'Leary works for Snoot Entertainment as an office manager and development assistant. She also models and writes. Her greatest passion, though, is creating and spreading more awareness on subjects such as mental health, suicidal ideation, invisible illnesses, and more. Katie suffers from an invisible illness called complex regional pain syndrome, and we talked about her experiences, which do include some triggering topics such as suicide. Please make sure to take care of yourself and proceed with caution with this episode. We learned so much from Katie, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Katie. It's so great to have you on today. We are looking forward to talking with you and getting to know you and your story a little bit better. So to kick things off, uh, just tell our listeners where you're from and what you do. Yeah. So I'm from South Bend, Indiana, and I currently work in Los Angeles as the office manager of, of a production company, a film production company in Culver City. And I've been out here since 2013, and it's been a wonderful adventure that luckily I've been able to stay on. <laughs> That's cool. My best friend's actually from South Bend, Indiana. So it's oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I have like a couple, I mean, I do have other things I do out here too. Like I also model and, um, I've done a few actor actory things, um, and I'm hoping to write and produce later, but that that's more of like some, some of that's more feature things, but what I'm currently doing now is kind of working for a production company and then doing some modeling on the side and just trying to, you know, like everyone out here, always hustling and moving and shaking. Yep. Definitely. That's a lifestyle, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So you are joining our podcast today to talk a little bit about invisible illnesses, physical disabilities, um, and mental health. So would you be able to give us a little bit of background on your experience with having an invisible illness and even maybe just define for our listeners what that means? Yes. So I have an invisible illness called complex regional pain syndrome, which also goes by another name called RSD, which is uh, reflexive uh, sympathetic dystrophy. And that is basically it's defined as a pain disorder. Um, It's it's a mouthful of words, basically, but it's triggered by a surgery, an accident, or even just, you know, tripping all over yourself. Like it's, it's kind of crazy how people can get these, uh, get this illness, but essentially after you recover from this accident or surgery or incident, um, your body, your sympathetic nervous system still believes that after this catastrophic or even minor injury, that you're still injured after healing and sends pain signals to that affected area. But it's not just pain signals, you know, that are minor or, um, or somewhat, you know, annoying there. It's the kind of pain that, sends you to the ER begging, begging for help. And the way that many people with this disorder describe the pain, it's similar to being set on fire and just, uh, and just, you know, just basically having barbed wire wrapped around the, the affected limb and, but no one can see it. That's the thing. It's like the pain is there. It's real, but no one can see it. And it's has a terrible nickname. It's has, it's called the suicide disease because so many people, um, have taken their lives because they can't live with this disorder. It's life. It's lifelong. Uh, there's no cure. And it is known as the most painful disorder on the planet. And it's also one of the most unknown disorders on the planet. According to McGill university, it is the, like it is more painful than 
uh, pregnant, uh, giving birth without, of course, an epidural. It's more painful than the amputation of a digit, and it's more painful than non-terminal preg- uh, non-terminal cancer, which I can't even imagine, like having cancer and and hearing that. Like it's just, and that, and with that though, the mental health cost to being told at a young age, or even an, you know when you're in your middle age or even you know when you're older that you're going to be in excruciating pain for the rest of your life um the mental health deficit that you experience is just overwhelming and it changes you as a person uh and that's probably one of the hardest things to grapple with is holding on to your humanity and your heart and your soul so that it doesn't change you as a person and so that your loved ones and the people you care about um, don't kind of not, I mean, so that the people that you care about, like, aren't terrified that you're a completely different person, but in the end, you know, we all adapt and change in the face of pain and everything else. And, um, and me personally, um, I, I acquired this horrible <laughs> disease after I had hip surgery. Um, I was a rugby player in college and well, I had hip surgery in 20, 2015. It was just to repair a cartilage that I tore. Everything went right. They didn't mess anything up. And uh, four weeks after recovery, I started noticing a, a lot of nerve pain and uh, yeah. And they diagnosed me six months later. And I mean, I've had it now yeah, for about six years. Um, I've been much luckier than most people because I've been able to recover somewhat. But, you know, I've had my struggles mentally with this. Um, you know, I'm, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely checked myself into, um, you know, mental health centers or a mental health center to deal and cope. And, but yes, like the invisible illnesses ultimately have, have to be one of the hardest things to deal with medically in order to get seen and taken seriously. Um, so that's kind of a kind of, a, I know that wasn't very quick, but that's kind of like a taste of, of uh, the disorder I deal with the disorder that many, well, not that many, <laughs> since it's pretty rare, but that a lot of people that I know with this disorder deal with. It sounds really intense and painful, and I can only imagine what you go through each day. And thank you, you know, for being vulnerable and sharing today. And as we move forward, you know, share as much as you want to. I think this conversation is really important and we don't talk about it enough. So, so yeah, so feel free to share whatever you want to share. Um, But what is your perspective and experience been like with society and how people perceive people with disabilities, people with an invisible illness? I'm sure you've had your fair share of unpleasant or pleasant experiences. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm part of these Facebook groups of people who have invisible illnesses. And one of the most common things that we all share is how how society, how families, how friends who don't understand what it's like to live with this and they're constant. And after a certain time period, they're tired of dealing with the invisible illness. And they're just, they're just begging their spouse, their sister, their brother, their friend, you know, why can't you go back to being the person you were? Like, why can't you just deal with this? Like, why can't you get over this? And it's devastating to the person or patient with this because they can't just get over this or deal with this. And, you know, they're, they're going to be in pain for possibly, possibly for 20 or 30 years. And, and their family member or whoever is, you know, it's like, why can't you have a better attitude or, you know, cause some people just really can't stand dealing with something that's going to last for a lifetime. And ultimately, I I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, but like I've seen so many posts of people who get divorced, who lose family members, whose I mean, their lives are torn apart by this because this isn't a disease in which, you know, it progresses and it gets worse. People pass away. And not that that's a good thing, but there's an ending to that. And 
if there's an ending to a disease, people who aren't sick can deal with it better. But the fact that this is something that continues on and on, people just want to to forget and continue on with their lives. And it's why so many people, unfortunately, that I know um, and did know have have led to self-harm and um and other and in terms of disabilities um one thing that i've definitely noticed uh out like out in the world uh is that it's so it is so common that for me to deal with um people who if i park my car for example you know with my handicap placard and people see me get out sometimes like i'll get a look kind of like you know Oh, you don't, you don't look disabled or, you know, um, and it's just, it's really sad. It's, and it's, but it's also angry. It can be anger inducing, but I try, I try very hard not to engage or deal with people who try to kind of rile up, but the number of people that I've talked to and engaged with who have had just horrific experiences dealing with uh dealing with other people who don't believe don't who don't even believe that they are disabled because it's an invisible illness and and even worse family members who question the validity of their disability like at uh like especially like uh holidays or um family reunions, things like that, and things like gaslighting and um, scapegoating become so common within family dynamics, within friend dynamics, because suddenly, you know, you're the weak spot within the family or within the friend group. And it's just, it's just such a, it's such a denigration of, of the disabled and those who suffer from these illnesses. And it's, it's awful. And one thing too, it's just, if you, a lot of people end up getting this in their, a a lot of people get this in their, in their feet and in their hands and they lose the ability to walk because of that, which, so like if, if it ends up in their, in their foot, you know, they end up needing a wheelchair and the expense of that alone is insane as well as the fact that, um, there's this frustration that comes with it because it's a very common area for, for people to get this disease, but there's this frustration with the, uh, within the family union or within like husband and wives where it's just like, it's just your foot. Like, come on, like, why can't you use crutches or something? Because they see it, you know, see a foot and it's just, it looks normal and, and people just don't understand. And probably the most extreme version of dealing with this disorder and other invisible illnesses like this disorder that I've seen is amputation. Uh, I recently saw a a friend in one of my support groups who actually amputated below the knee to deal with the pain. It worked for her, but for many other patients, it it usually causes the disease to spread. Um, it's been known to spread to other parts of the body. Um, that's something that terrifies me all the time. Uh, where like, like uh, there's I know several people that have full body CRPS. It's in all their organs. It's in every part of their body. But for her, the solution did work, and she's happy with her prosthetic. But even though my leg is in pain, I can walk on it and I'm thankful for that, but I don't, I don't think I could get rid of it, (laughs) but you know, God bless her. Like that's, I'm very happy for her, but, um, but yeah, it's just, um, there's so many things in, in the public and in the world that presses down on people with these illnesses and you're constantly trying to prove that you matter, that you are, you have what you say you have. And there was one incident, uh, cause I used to be a writer for a now, uh, it, the, sh- the site is shut down because, uh, our editor couldn't run it anymore because he was retiring called the national pain report. I used to be a columnist for it and it was a disability and pain website. And there was one time uh, I was going through TSA and they wanted to pat me down and I told them, 
if you do that, uh, I will s- scream in pain. It's not nothing against you. It's just that's what's going to happen. And that is what happened. And they were very much embarrassed because like people in line were like, what are you doing to that girl? It sounds like you're torturing her. And um, yeah, it was it was very bad. Um, so I ended up trying to like reach out to TSA and see, you know, can we do better for people who have invisible illnesses? And I was actually able to reach, get, actually get far enough into the TSA uh, department where I was able to talk to someone and engage with people at a higher level uh, where they have these these, um, educational resources for their TSA uh, um, uh, employees where they have these little modules where they can educate themselves on certain disorders and uh, disabilities on how to best handle them. And they added CRPS uh, to those modules for them to better educate on how to deal with it. Uh, I can't uh, 100% say that, you know, they're all going to watch it, but, you know, it's one step closer to putting that into the public eye of education. And, you know, and, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but it's just, it's one part of advocacy that is so important to me. And, you know, and being here too with you guys, it's, you know, it's, spreading information out to the world of just trying to make things more visible and less invisible. So I know that was a very long-winded answer (laughs) to your question, but uh, I hope, I hope that made sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that was just so educational for us. And, you know, neither of us knew about this disorder before coming on with you and we were reading up about it and just like feeling so heartbroken, you know, for people who suffer with this because like we can't even imagine like what it would be like to have to cope with something like this forever and you know in in a lot of ways it's physical pain is so awful and I think you know the invisible illness thing you know it kind of even reaches to people with mental health disorders because you know no one no one knows unless you experience what it's like to be connected to that person and hear their story. And so, you know, what you were saying kind of makes me think about how people treat people with mental health disorders, you know, like very intense mental health disorders. Like you can't always see your mental illness and they're suffering with it forever sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's such a great point too, because like I, I have family members who suffer from mental health disorders. Um, I got, I, unfortunately had uh, people in my family who committed suicide higher up in the family tree. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh at that, but, um, but yeah, higher up in the family tree. Uh, but, you know, and, and the first thing people say, of course, is just like, I had no idea they felt this way. Cause it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's almost always the first thing people say. And, you know, I uh, have a, a family member with schizophrenia and I love her dearly and fiercely. Um, but I, 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 there's nothing I can do, you know, in terms of caring for her. And, um, but I do know the best way to care for her is to provide her with the best possible help she can get. But yes, absolutely. Like, uh, that's why, I mean, that's why with invisible illnesses, pairing that with the best possible mental health care you can get is so important. Otherwise, like people will just continue to regress and regress and regress. And so, yes, I 100% agree with you. And, and, and you're right. Like, I feel like the first invisible illness really is, has started, what started out is mental. And our bodies and our minds are so connected. So, you know, your experience with a physical illness that's invisible, uh, obviously really, really impacts your mental health. And, you know, people with mental health also have experiences somatically in their bodies, maybe not to the same extent, but I'm curious, what has your experience been trying to find mental health support for your, your current illness and finding someone who understands and is able to support you in a, in a the beneficial way? It's been interesting because uh, in 2016, um, I'm a, I became very, very, uh, this is kind of uh, what happened. So when, when I was diagnosed, I, you know, I kind of threw myself into um, kind of 
dating and trying to kind of trying to find someone to love me and love me for who I was, how broken I was and trying to kind of ignore the pain and kind of try to move forward in, in a sense. And when that, when this relationship I had ended, um, it kind of struck me that like, oh, this person doesn't accept me for who I am. I must be truly broken. Like, uh, you know, and this disorder I have must play a role. And so that was my lowest point. I think the when I had, when I had the, when I was diagnosed uh, and having this disorder. And so luckily, you know, I had the wherewithal to know that I was in a dangerous mindset and I checked myself. I, I had a therapist at the time. Um, she was great. And I checked myself in to a mental health center, but unfortunately, <laughs> uh, this is probably going to go into my memoir. Um, if I ever have one, but uh, unfortunately the place ended up being a drug rehabilitation center. And that's something I've noticed with many places in Los Angeles and not just Los Angeles, but all over the country, which is, you know, ever since we kind of, and this, I think this happened in the seventies and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, where we started getting rid of uh, mental health facilities, because of course, like a lot of them infringed on personal rights, but the majority of places here, if you want to check yourself in for mental health issues, you either have to be a millionaire and, you know, be a celebrity or your only option is to, you know, check into a drug rehab center. Uh, and I wasn't aware of that, like when I checked in. Um, so like when I was there, I was sitting, you know, sitting in these, you know, group sessions with people that were really only talking about, you know, drug issues. And, uh, and I, I didn't really have much to add. And they also were denying me medication, which was bad. Uh, and so I remember the second day I, I said that, can I please meet with a medical doctor? Like, uh, I'm not here for rehab. I'm here for something completely different. And they refused. And it wasn't until I, I passed out in the middle of a group session from pain. Uh, and they, they also made me sit in a wheelchair because I, I couldn't use a crutch. Uh, they said it could be construed as a weapon, which makes sense. It's just that there was a 90-year-old man who had a, a little walker. And I'm like, couldn't someone just take that from him at any moment? But, you know, but I was in a wheelchair. And I remember that I vaguely remember this, this man carrying me to my room. He was one of the patients. And uh, somehow a doctor just magically appeared when he wasn't available you know, for two days. Uh, and they finally, you know, gave me my medication, but, um, I, I absolutely nothing, nothing happened there that, that benefited my mental health. <laughs> the only thing it did benefit was that like, I gotta get out of here. This is, this is worse than the life I left behind. Um, <laughs> so in a way it kind of did benefit my mental health that way. Um, cause life was definitely better on the outside than it was in there. Um, but in terms of, but in terms of, uh, mental health now and after that, you know, I, I really did have a wonderful therapist for two years who, you know, we did cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and she was somebody that gave me amazing, amazing resources um, to try and combat the issues in my life, and especially to like how my family, my family at first, they really didn't understand my disorder. Uh, you know, they didn't understand why I wasn't healing, why I couldn't deal with it. And now I just, to throw that out there, they completely understand. They're so supportive. Um, but I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of, you know, sadness and depression because I just couldn't believe that at 27, that like, you know, this was going to dominate my life. And, um, so yeah, having her, I mean, that was amazing. And, uh, and these days, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing so much better that, um, you know, I, I kind of, have the tools I need right now to kind of deal with it. But also COVID, it's kind of difficult to <laughs> find somebody that will, you know, meet with you. Uh, there's always Zoom, but um, it's not really the same as talking to somebody like in their presence. I'm very lucky, honestly, like uh, that I had the wherewithal to kind of know that I was in 
in danger. I was in trouble. Um, and there are too many people that I know, unfortunately, that didn't do that at all. And sadly, like, yeah, I'm like in all these Facebook support groups I'm in, like, I'll get like a update saying like, so-and-so we lost. So we, it's always, we lost so-and-so to CRPS. It's never, you know, they committed suicide. We lost them to the disease. And I feel like that's the right thing to say because it's just such a monster of a disease that, yeah, it's, it's just so heartbreaking. And, and it doesn't help too, that when it comes to pain, the solution that the, go- the government and the doctors seem to be focusing on is uh, rel- regulating pain medication, but not finding a solution for pain. And that seems to be, it's just a massive issue. And yeah, I mean, that's a, that could be a completely different podcast right there, <laughs> but I, I won't go, go into that part, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, if, it, if, but if there was a way, you know, if we were, disco- were to discover a way to manage the pain, it, it would be, I mean, that would be a cure right there, um, you know, if we could, but unfortunately, you know, many of these people don't have many, many of these people don't have access to mental health resources. They're in the middle of Arkansas or Florida, but, but I have to say though, that because of these groups I'm in Facebook, we have been collecting doctor's names, specialists that provide help, provide physical help and, you know, physical help and mental health resources in those areas and creating kind of these like um, specialty books for people on social media so that if anybody is looking for a specialist or something in their specific state they know where to go because uh it's so important to all of us to try and share information so that's one uh bright light in all of that too yeah that's that's great i mean that's a good thing about social media is being able to help other people and yeah you're right i mean and that's a whole other thing about rural mental health care i mean luckily you know we live in la and you know i'm sorry to hear your original experience wasn't wasn't great but i'm i'm glad that you're doing better and things are better and you know we'd love to to know a little bit more what it's like living day to day with uh with your illness and how are you doing today i'm again like i i am so lucky and blessed right now to um my pain is much more manageable right now i mean i i it's funny because it's like you know saying things out loud i'm terrified of like you know (laughs) of like cursing something or like i don't i don't even know but uh but no i am very lucky in that uh I have been feeling better in the past like year or so and I'm still in pain, but it is manageable. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been, my, my day-to-day kind of consists of, um, you know, I try to, I usually get up around 7am, uh, check, you know, uh, check like the daily trades, which for entertainment, that's mostly like, uh, the rap deadline, uh, Hollywood reporter and stuff just to kind of keep up to date with like entertainment news and stuff. But then I also like go on socials and stuff and mess around. But one thing, um, if I'm in a lot of pain, like, uh, if I wake up, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm dying right now. But you know, not actually. Um, I, uh, the one thing I found that always helps with with pain is watching hilarious videos. Um, cause like that distracts me long enough that I can deal with it until either medication kicks in or, um, you know, or just long enough to kind of get through some of the worst pain. Um, and that is usually like at least like a couple days a week. Um, and I, I am, and with our height, we have a hybrid schedule at work. So usually I'm going in like two to three days a week, usually between 10 and 11 a.m. because of traffic and they're so wonderful they're such a it's a wonderful company that I work for they're so kind about uh letting me kind of slowly come back in and like I it's I'm so lucky compared to other people I mean the number of people that I have met and or 
read about their experiences working like either workers comp or even just their jobs denying them the ability to work from home or anything it's just terrible but yeah so i'll go to work a couple days a week and then i also um yeah and i i also read a lot of scripts i uh try i try to go on walks to kind of keep my leg muscles from atrophying too much because atrophying is is kind of dangerous and um yeah i mean it's just you know i try to i try not to do too much because you know it's it's too much can cause pain too little can cause pain it's a delicate balance <laughs> i'm also curious just like you know running the the la group and you know there's all these social events and meetups do you find yourself having a tough time attending those because of your illness or you know are you even interested <laughs> oh like i'm mean, going yeah no i'm definitely interested it's Sometimes, you know, it is partially my illness in terms of going just because sometimes they're on the West side and driving, (laughs) driving can be a bit difficult for me in terms of uh, distance. And so, (laughs) yeah, so that that can sometimes be a bit of an issue just because, um, especially if it's something like at 7 p.m., like on a Thursday, because, you know, you're going to hit rush hour. And so, and, you know, so, so sometimes that can be a a bit of an issue. So, yeah, that, that's probably the only the only thing and but no i mean most of the things that we that i see look awesome and really fun and i generally want to do it it's 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 usually just because of work or my leg and i'm just like oh i can't drive or oh i'm really tired <laughs> so yeah it's got got it now, i was just curious because yeah. someone brought to my attention about, you know, because, you know, when you don't have that experience, that disability, whatever you want to label it as, you forget that there's reasons why people don't show up to certain things. Right. I think it was brought to my attention. It might have been you, but maybe it wasn't you about like why flaking is so hard. Yeah. Um, like, so I, this was more actually, I just wanted to know, like from mm-hmm. someone who actually has, you know, difficult days that that's also a very valid and understandable reason to not make it to social events. But it seems like with you, it's not necessarily true. It's more just uh, traffic. And I understand. Yeah. Like I, you know, I did have someone get very angry with me because <laughs> he was supposed to come over and hang out and like watch a movie or something. And I fell asleep because my medication and everything. And I don't blame him for getting upset. Like he drove over to hang out. But the weird thing was that I have two roommates. So I was kind of like, you know, you could have called and he's friends. He was friends with both of them. I'm like, why didn't you call? They're they're awake. Like, why didn't you call those two? Like, it was very strange. So, yeah, if it had just been me, I, I, of course, I would have felt terrible. And that's awful. It's just there were options there. So that was kind of strange. Um, But yeah, it's I always feel terrible. Like if I make plans, I try not to cancel plans if I've made them just because I always feel awful like doing that. But in the majority of the time, I mean, I love meeting new people. That's, a th- you know, and that's one of the things about this disorder that has kind of uh, hin- not completely hindered, but because I'm, I'm still deep, you know, inside, I'm a very sociable person. I love meeting new people. Um, it's just funny because if I'm in a large crowd, I have to use a crutch because not because I can't walk, but because uh, large crowds make me nervous because uh, if people touch my leg, it it will get very painful. And so I use the crutch to kind of like protect my leg from being bumped into. And so it (laughs) becomes like this uh, topic of conversation very quickly, Uh, especially if like I'm out like at a bar with friends or something, it's always like an opening line. Yeah. And because my job is in film too, it's like, um, I've had, I've had some like funny conversations with uh, with a couple of uh, celebrities with <laughs> about that. Just kind of funny. Um, it's dumb, but like, but yeah, it's it's interesting though because it's you know I'm I'm also like six feet tall, so it's, it used to be like oh you're so tall, like it's this like it's this magical trick or something, and now it's you're tall and you have a crutch. <laughs> like, I, I like how you you use humor with, you know, your outlook on life. I really do admire that. Oh, yeah. 
this is, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is part of your life, but it doesn't define you, but it does define you in a way that it does affect your life. And that's something that we need to remember that when we're trying to do like this uh, toxic positivity on life, sometimes like it's, it's also good to just be aware that like, yes, this is what I have. And same goes for mental health. Like, you know, someone living with depression, I have depression, I have good days, I have bad days, how to best support someone with that. So what would you say is some tips or, you know, what would you tell people for as far as like how to support somebody with an invisible illness? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, so there are certain questions or things that people say, like to people, the, they're like friends of people and family members of, of those with invisible illnesses. They say certain things that they should kind of reword, which is kind of like, uh, have you tried this? And that's kind of implying that they aren't doing enough. And instead of saying, have you tried this saying, how can I help you? How can I support you? Like, how, what do you need from me? Like, and, and that's more of a positive way of saying, you know, I'm here for you. Like I'm on your side. And uh, cause so often, you know, there's this question, it, it becomes this interrogation of like, I just don't, think that you're doing the right things. And, and it can be, it can lead to some very uh, insecure moments from those with invisible illnesses. So, and then also too, I would say, I mean, my boyfriend is actually a perfect example of it. And that is, um, you know, you don't always have to, like, don't treat someone like, like they're in a fishbowl, you know, like, like staring at them, like, you know, that they're made of glass or that, um, or, you know, or be overly critical. Like he just, if I need something, he just does it, you know, and he's the first person I've ever known since being diagnosed who always knows which leg is the one that hurts and always knows not to touch it. And, um, you know, he just treats me like a person. He doesn't treat me like a patient. And if that is just so important, like, being treated like a human being and not like uh, something other. Um, and when it, and it can be, so, I know it can be so difficult because, you know, when it comes to attitude, so many patients who were first diagnosed with something painful or awful, you know, you're so angry and you're furious and, or you're depressed and you're sad. Uh, it, it can be very, very difficult, you know, to deal with as a partner, as a husband or wife or family member. But, you know, that's, that's something you have to work on together. But, um, but when it comes to just like the, min- the minutia of all of this, like it's, you know, it's finding ways to distract. And I, I think that's something that, that I find, at least for me, and I think that and I try to tell this to other people, too. It's like, find ways to distract each other, but that make you happy. And it's the little things, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, go to, go to a movie, like go for a walk. Like if you're in pain and you can't do that, then, you know, take a bath, use Epsom salts. Like, like I said before, like watch a little YouTube video, but if you're their partner, it's, you know, them best, hopefully. (laughs) And if you don't, this is your opportunity to get to know them better. And, you know, and it's, I, I believe, you know, personally that the smallest surprises, the small, the little things that you can do for each other, even just like little notes and things of like, I love you. I care about you. You know, those are the most important things. And when someone is sick and isn't feeling well, you know, we know how to take care of each other then hopefully if you're raised, right. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, (laughs) But like, uh, you know, like a cup of tea or like breakfast in bed or like, you know, things like that. And, you know, and if it's just, that's what makes people feel good is knowing that people are on your side. And if they feel like you're on the opposing side of questioning who you are, questioning your decisions, questioning, you know, your diagnosis, as if to say, well, I don't agree with the doctor, you know, or, or if they question the diagnosis, because they think the doctor is an idiot and know that you are right. That's even better. Because I do have to say, that when it comes to some of these invisible illnesses, 
that there are many doctors who have never heard of some of these illnesses and will dismiss outright. And you sometimes have to know in your heart and in your own research and everything else that you know that you're right and you need your family to be behind you too and know that you're right um so like for example if you go to the er and they're just like well i've never heard of that whatever and you know and you need your family and everyone else to say hey this is a real thing she has she or he has this like and not for your family member or partner to say see he thinks he thinks it's not real so it must not be uh god that'd be awful i'm sorry Sometimes when I think of these scenarios, I just scare myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's. I hope that's kind of um, some examples of of how to help others. Um, I'm a big movie buff, and oh, and there's a, one other thing too. And I, I mentioned this to my own mother actually because um, there's this certain type of anxiety that I've seen with people, uh, especially my mom and others like me, where you have this this deep seated anxiety that is so terrible that you can't read a book. You can't watch a movie like where you're just, you're so tense and like, you just can't relax. And, um, I used to have this problem when I was first diagnosed where I was just like, I was just so anxious all the time. And I love reading. I love watching movies and I, I couldn't like sit down. I just like constantly was just anxious all the time. So, um, one thing I, recommended to many people actually was the calm app uh which helps people help me sleep a lot um and then audible of course like for listening to books and also the kindle unlimited um uh app where you can get books and because i found that reading on my phone as terrible as it is because i grew up of course in the 90s and in the early aughts as they call them which is so weird to say um like where i would read a book every night i mean not a whole book but i would read you know like a chapter or two before going to bed every you know every night and um but now you know i read a chapter or two every night on my phone but i found that you know it's really helpful too, you know, to kind of get your mind off things. And, you know, so if that's another way to really support each other too, is kind of finding those hobbies and things that you can share together and support each other with. So, um, so there's so much tech, so much technology out there for that. But yeah. And then I also use Spotify where I'll, I'll listen to Beethoven when I'm sleeping just because like his aggressive music I find is very helpful. (laughs) Those are all such really great and easy ways to support somebody or just even thinking outside of the box, like you kind of said about if you can't sit and watch or read something like finding ways to listen or meditation apps to kind of help you just calm your, you know, your sensory experience, Um, kind of moving back a little bit to mental health stuff. What do you, are some unique challenges that you think people with physical disabilities and physical illnesses face when it comes to mental health? Yeah, I would say, I mean, definitely one of the hardest things they face is, I mean, transportation. I mean, I know that's probably an obvious one, but, you know, there is something in Los Angeles that I don't think enough people know about, which is, and uh, if you guys know that, that would be amazing. It's access paratransit. Have you heard of that? Oh, great. Um, But yeah, access paratransit, which allow, which if you sign up for and apply for and you're, and you have a disability, you can. Uh, arrange rides to wherever you need to go and they can also you can arrange pickups too um so that's kind of difficult but the other thing too with disability uh people with physical and invisible disabilities when it comes to therapy is just that opening up about these things and learning to trust other people after being dismissed by so many doctors and so many people can be terrifying and it can be awful. And I think that's one of the barriers to entry for a lot of people when it comes to doctors. But I think that those with physical disabilities and mental health, honestly, I think that many people struggle to get across what they need because depending on the disability, like if it's, if it's, uh, if it's mental, if it's vocal, if it's, legs or arms or anything like that you know it can it can really kind of um 
stop people from being able to express what they need. And sometimes you need someone else in the room with you. And that can also kind of curb a lot of progress uh, just because that maybe that person doesn't, it, you know, isn't in your best interest or doesn't really know what you need. Um, I, I have a close friend who kind of meets those qualifications where, you know, she is an amazing human being and uh, her, she has a family member that like kind of takes over her life in a way, accepts like her disability uh, checks. And, you know, she's somebody that, you know, definitely needs mental health, like therapy and things like that, just, you know, for her own better, better man, I'm not trying to diagnose her, uh, but her, her parents kind of, you know, kind of control her and tell her not to, not to do that and things like that. So I think like, um, I think when it, when it comes to, uh, physical issues and, and those, those things, like you have to rely on so many people to get places to do things. And, and then on top of that, like you have to find a therapist who understands what you're going through and hopefully does the research, understand and, and kind of, you know, not just relate, but kind of uh, dig deep. And so many people, when they have these issues, you know, they feel like no one can possibly understand what they're going through. And that's kind of like the first barrier to entry. And, um, and I know that when I first started therapy, I was just kind of like, what do you know about this? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was a very, I was very angry when I started and, and, you know, I, I can't even imagine like, you know, I mean, invisible illnesses aside, I mean, a, a visible illness, a visible disability, even like, I can't even fathom like how that must be for people who have to deal with public scrutiny and public issues. Like I just, my God, um, I hope that answered your question. Like, I, I think I was kind of long-winded there. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's great that you've, uh, been, uh, adding so much to the conversation today. I feel like, I feel like I learned a lot and, you know, as therapists, like it is our job to read up on somebody's, you know, challenges that that's it's up to us but it is you know also up to the client we work with to hopefully be vulnerable and share because now right. that you've shared now I want to do more so it's a it's a domino effect right and which is how life should really be is you know someone mentions something someone else researched something someone asks questions and everyone's having a conversation so it's been really really great to talk with you today about everything that we talked about, but what are some groups that others who um, have maybe a similar illness or another um, chronic illness, what are some groups that you would recommend that have been helpful for you? I know you yeah. mentioned Facebook, but like, are there any specific groups? Yes. So um, I would recommend if you, I mean, specifically for, if you have CRPS or RSD, um, there are several face, I mean, in terms of Facebook, there are several RSD CRPS Facebook groups. You just have to type in, you know, the acronyms, but, um, I would also recommend going to rsds.org, which is the website, the main website, uh, that gives you information on the disorder itself and gives you resources that you can check out, including um, places for support and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just to general information. Um, I would also check out uh, The Mighty, which is a wonderful website that uh, not only covers, uh, you know, CRPS and those issues, but also covers a wide range of disabilities and invisible illnesses and, uh, and visible illnesses too, mental health, all of that. And that's a wonderful place to engage in forums, uh, write, write your own personal stories and share them with the community. And it's, it's a, it's a really great site. Um, and you can also read, uh, other people's contributions and feel seen. It's, it's truly wonderful. The Mighty is a great website. I've been following them and getting their email stuff for a while now. I really, I love that. 
I love that website. So yeah. thanks for sharing those resources. Um, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or any kind of information you want to shout out? Yeah, um, probably the easiest way would be through Instagram, just because it's um, it's more public, I think. I have a very silly name <laughs> on my Instagram. Uh, so my Instagram handle, it's a it's phonetically delightful, but I, uh, that's what it's supposed to be, but I spelled it D E E L I T as in Tom E F O O L. So it's D light fool because back in 2009, I thought that was the height of comedy. And, uh, yes, that is my Instagram handle. Uh, but yes, if you, uh, if you want to DM me on Instagram, if you have any questions whatsoever, I'm more than happy to, to talk uh, about anything that we've talked about today. Um, more than happy. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to help in any way. Thank you so much. Uh, one final takeaway that you want to give our listeners from this conversation. I would just say that I know the past two two years and right now are so hard and there's and things are not easy right now and you know we are all kind of adjusting and but there is hope if we stay if we work together if we continue to trust in each other and support each other and remember that we're not alone in these illnesses and stick together and continue talking to each other and supporting each other. Like we will get through this. And I don't just mean through illnesses. I mean, through society, I mean, through everything. And just remember that majority of the people in this country want good things to happen. And same with people with illnesses and the people on this podcast. So everyone wants good things so yeah thank, thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast <laughs> we really loved learning from you and hearing your voice and experience I think it's so powerful to share um, and I know that there's going to be people out there that are going to resonate with this and even like you said just to teach other people about this the more we spread the information you know the more people can understand things like this so thank you thank you thank you again we really appreciate absolutely it. yeah thank you guys so much for inviting me on here um, I've, this has been really wonderful. And if, yeah, I mean, if you guys ever, yeah, if you ever need a, uh, an, a very goofy Irish woman on here again, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm more than happy to. So, but I know you guys have like so many people that you, that you interview, so it's, I totally understand. <laughs> well, you know, we, we might end up doing round twos with some of our guests. So we'll keep you posted for sure. Great. Awesome. Great to meet both of you too. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life, you think would like us too. for more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dope SHT therapy pod and via email at dope at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.